Can we just be like, yeah, scientific <laughs> boys? Are you, are you in Aurora Borealis? Because <laughs> I want to. So for the next two episodes, we've decided to do a bit of reminiscing, okay? So mm. on our project, on our last podcast, we've obviously come a long way again in another year. Um, and it's more so for new viewers, right? People who are new to the show and sort of don't want to go back and listen to 89 episodes. I, I wouldn't do that if I was you. Like, I mean, some of them are pretty interesting. Some of them are good, but yeah, we've, yeah, the, the, the very like first few bits, you know, just skip that. And it's, yep. you know, we're here to sort of go over some of the stuff we've done to show people who are existing viewers the progression we've made and how far we've come and get to get a bit emotional in it right on like the oh, different things sorry it's been 90 episodes of podcasting something like 20 different projects that we've built or made we're currently at a table that's completely custom designed yeah uh, we have an engineering logo on our backboard and we're currently being paid to do it I, i'd say we've come a, a lot has changed just yeah. in the last year so <laughs> like, so this podcast will be about our previous podcasts and what we sort of reminisce on and the next episode is going to be on previous projects to show what we've done um how that can be improved yeah. and what the next sort of steps are so we're going to get into the first podcast clip that we're going to discuss so fair enough so i'll play yours yours is from episode 84 the cruxes of the problems they're trying to solve turning is. deserts into rainforest okay oh, that would no, be no. that would be a dream um i actually have a that's another podcast i might have mentioned that podcast idea please Previously, but the idea behind it is how do you what? <laughs> I burped out of camera. Well, now you've pointed it out, and what was the point? I should just burp straight into the microphone. Thank you, Patty. Anyways, I want you to do it next time. Do it, and that's like I can really call you out on it. Okay, I will just for you because you asked nicely. Yeah, it's my kink. I've really enjoyed it. <laughs> I'm not here to kink shame, Patty, but come on, man. Come on. <laughs> come on. I know it's 2023, but I've got to set a boundary at some point. <laughs> is it boundaries? Okay, okay, so I'm going to go into why I picked this one. So there are a few themes around these clips and the theme with this one is something that pissed me the hell off. So backstory, I wasn't involved in this podcast, right? I was overseas at the time yeah. and I was like, I've got to listen to the podcast and I was very interested in this as a whole, like AI and rainforest and what you guys yeah. are talking about. And at this point, I'm lying <laughs> in bed drunk as right i'd just been out in a night in mykonos or mm -hmm. wherever i was i had a sleeping mask on yeah. and I'm, like, I'm gonna listen to the podcast and go to sleep yeah. and then i was just so into it like what you were saying and then out of nowhere patty just just <laughs> diverts I'm like, it. I'm like no keep like you're about to talk about i think you're about to talk about how to grow a rainforest in a desert yes and you like i've already looked this up and i'm like oh my god and then when you guys got back into it you we skipped it you went back to like a previous question and then we, i never oh. heard how that was so Patty, like, what the fuck? Like, I know. I'm so pissed off about that derailing. It's, it's an interesting story, but I, like, to be fair, I could finish it now if you want to, if you want to really like scratch that itch, I, James. Yeah. I, honestly, yeah, if you've got one minute to yeah. go through this. If so. you literally just pump water into a desert area, it turns into a rainforest really quickly, like way too quickly. If you look at the River Nile, that floods like once a year and then all of a sudden becomes a forest next to the Nile. You, that happens almost in every single desert. Once you start changing, adding water, it lowers the temperature, birds will come, they will drop seeds. Over a 10, 15 year cycle, you can create a rainforest just by throwing water into a desert. Is this because of the soil that's underneath the effect of the sand? It's that as well. It can turn, it, it's not just the sand turning into like dirt, but it starts growing more yeah. plants which are suited for desert environment, desert and water environments. Okay, cool. Yeah, so there's, 
there's a, there's a lot that can happen for it. It won't be a pure rainforest in the sense that you create the Amazon in the desert, uh, in like the Simpsons desert, but you can create a stable uh, rainforest-like environment by simply providing the water. And that's the first step of terraforming. Which is kind of interesting, right? So, we could do like, I mean, I have a lot of questions to follow up on that, but we could do a whole <laughs> podcast on terror. I think we should in, do that. In yeah. that podcast, you actually said we could do a podcast on this, on but to sum it up, yeah. and then that's when you burped and it got stuck. I burped way off camera too. And it was just like and, so subtle. And I was uh, like, I was, look, I was piecing myself laughing, but I was like, what's the answer? So thank you. Thank you for answering. I think my outro clip that I have gotten is actually something very similar to that. Not the same but something that definitely is no one has heard before as well but it's very between uh, patty and i just having a bit of a giggle and has no benefit to science roll the tape roll the tape do you want me to roll it now oh what's your what's your i'll roll at the end um actually something i wanted to i'll maybe go through my next clip though um it's a recent one with dr james hunter another james yeah great guy and it was talking about the h hl huntley which was the first ever submarine built Yep. It was built um, by the South during the American Civil War. Um, it had a crew of eight, seven people, like little hamsters in a wheel spinning around a little motor, just hand cranking it. And it, it, they, it would attack other boats. And it did destroy another boat at the sacrifice cells. destroyed itself, yeah. And that was my story. So the idea of how, what the definition of a torpedo was, because what we think a torpedo is and what it actually is, is very different. So um, let's roll to the clip. Yes. Um, and it sunk after it shot its torpedo. How did members die, but the ship remained intact? Yeah, okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> funny thing about mid-19th century torpedoes. Um, that term was used in the 1860s, but it's not what we think of when we think of a torpedo. Mm. Uh, we think of torpedoes, we think of what are called self-propelled remote torpedoes. You know, they got a little prop on the back and they go zipping off and and blow things up a long way away torpedoes in the mid-19th century were mines so stationary mines Um, so the way the hunley's torpedo system worked was you had the bow end and there was a metal spar so it was a a shaft like a long metal uh, hollow shaft that came off the bow Mm. about roughly five meters in length uh, around there and at the very end of that was an explosive charge a canister of black powder and what you did and on the end of that was a trigger mechanism so what you did was you saw your target and you went all right guys let's go and exactly and you rammed that charge into the side of the hull and it detonated okay so the long and the short of that is there was about a five well a bit longer than that maybe six to seven meter distance between the detonation site and the first crew member in that. <laughs> Dude, and, and the reason i love that clip was because the hl Huntley was a great feat of engineering they they understood buoyancy they understood power 
but they never got the understanding that a bomb that close to a submarine will absolutely sink the submarine. Yeah. And it just wiped out the entire crew. Well, like, It narwhaled itself into not, a ship. Not just that, right, but the effect it has on the people in the ship, right? So the ship was built to... Des- like, obviously, they're going to design the ship to withstand that sort of impact. But what they didn't take into account, as far as they theorize, is what it did to the people. They think it knocked them out. It killed yeah. them, the shockwave. And then the, the ship sunk. Yeah. That is a great feat. But you're 100% right. When I think of a torpedo, I think of like this just robotic spear just going underneath, finding its target and detonating. Which is what was very popularized from the U-boats in the 1940s up until modern day, like uh, the hunt for October. Modern day understanding of torpedoes are very smart, fish-like explosives. What you see in the movies, yes. But this torpedo was literally... A spear with a Like a grenade strapped to the end of a... uh, Like a... a, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Like a chariot. No, um... A dueling, oh, you know the the old the bay- bayonet. Yeah, no, no. When like two knights would be on horses and go each other, cavalry charge. Oh, I know. It's exactly like a grenade at the end about, of a yeah. cavalry charge and hoping the fragments don't hit you. I disagree. I think they built the submarine and never tested it for explosive resistance. Was this is the H.R. Hunley? This is the one that like yeah, this is the one that sunk three sunk. times before it actually went yeah. into like operation. It sunk once. They pulled it back up. The person who developed it, Hunley, the actual designer, got in and sunk it again. They brought it out and went, ah, it's fine. We can still build it. Third time, sunk a boat and then it yeah. sunk itself. I mean, like the only way back in those days to test how explosion proof something is is to blow it up and build it again. Pretty much. Like, there's yeah. no modeling. You've got no modeling to do to there's suggest, no, like... Yeah, there's, yeah, no, there's no CAD. No there's, yeah. yeah, there's no... None of it. But I just loved how it was such a big step of engineering. And to quote Jurassic Park, they didn't know... Um, they were so worried or focused on if they could. They didn't know... They didn't ask, should they? Would yeah. they? And they shouldn't have. <laughs> they shouldn't have put a bomb at the end of a submarine. Oh, I mean, we can say that about many subs in recent days of whether they should or shouldn't have. But uh... there's a lot of ifs in that. Isn't that concerning? <laughs> Isn't that concerning? <laughs> We're not copying trends here. Okay, okay. <laughs> right, that's anyway, my trip. So my next clip that I want to get into is about our friend ChatGPT um, from episode 73, and I think we recorded this as ChatGPT was released. And what we did is we gave a background of what it was and sort of predicted its uses and you know, if it would replace certain industries. Now, we talked about its use in the workplace. So that's the context, roll the clip, and I'll get into it after. All right, let's go. Some of the redundancy, like how much of your day do you reckon is doing the same task just slightly differently? Probably like, oh, my working day or my day day? You're working, oh, just your working. Let's say you're working day. I reckon like five and a half out of the eight hours. Yeah, I would say if there's, I was there's some certain day. chunks that I'm like, all I'm doing is the exact same thing with a slight change to it. And then doing that again. Yeah. If I can automate that task, damn, you're much more work I can get done. Oh. So one of the things I always wanted to get like into was chat GPT in the workplace. And this is something we talked about a lot when it came out. And not just in the workplace, but even for a lot of the projects we've been working on, the interactions with chat GPT have been amazing. Now, I am never going to agree that it's going to replace what we can do. It's there to supplement what we do. Mm. And... I've, I've been trying out the chat GPT-4 recently because I want to really explore the features. So I did like a month um, of paying for it. Um, to me, it's worth it because it's like a buddy that you have mm. when you're in your working day. Like you will never get it to tell you an answer, but you will get it to sort of give you its opinion in a way. It's like, hey, I'm working mm. on this. As someone who has, has been trained on a load of databases yeah. and you can now look something up 
what do you think of what I'm doing? What is your opinion based on yeah. a, a, the world wide web yeah. and books and textbooks and stuff? And it has been amazing. So it's like, I know, I think this was more of a problem during the lock, like last lockdown when we were working from home. We all second guessed ourselves, like in yeah. being in our own office, like your boss wasn't there, your colleagues weren't there. Is what I'm doing right at, in the workplace? Yeah. And that it would have been good to have back then because it's just like, oh, I reckon you should write this report this way or you should, you know, oh, write this code that way. So, yeah, this this is the theme of this clip was what is something we talked about where we speculated impacts and have those impacts come into fruition? Yes, they have. It's been yeah excellent. And the thing is, like, it depends on your workplace. Now, I kind of speak from a consultancy place and there's a bit of a, a shun on using um chat gpt for consultancy but my stuff when i'm not client facing i use chat gpt yeah. all the time for in terms of coding i think i know how to do it i'll ask chat gpt how would you do it and i realize the inefficiencies of my workforce yeah. it reinforces what's good and fixes what's bad it's like a ski instructor telling you what to do all the time maybe actually that doesn't sound that great <laughs> but like having someone to break out the bad habits correct the right ones constantly even though I know how to do it and it's not saving me much time at that point, it's making it better for the future. Yeah. It's so good. Oh. Yeah, and like I think not not only does it like help break that barrier and whatnot, but you got to understand the flaws in its ability to do math, for example. It yep. is not great at actually solving problems yep. step by step. So it will know a solution, but if you're asking it to go from one step to the next, a lot of the time I miss something. Now, there's a new update in the next edition called like the advanced analytics, which mm. I haven't seen come through yet, but apparently that's supposed to be more tailored to math and coding. So yeah, yeah never use it to replace math-based stuff, but the actual steps and yeah. how it gets to things is is important because then you're like, oh, you've got your formulas wrong. I can correct that. Yeah. But as long as you tell me the sequence of what the next step is, it's like a good buddy to have. I, th I think it, it really has become a staple of day-to-day -day, and I think it'll be impossible to disengage at this point. I mean, there are kids in year four and five who use ChatGPT for their homework. Yeah. Like, what is a teacher of a fourth year going to be able to do to combat AI in the classroom? Nothing. There's nothing you can do. Not really, yeah. At this point, you might as well accept that AI is here to stay, but it is a tool that can be used not to always be trusted. Yeah. Trust but verify, I guess, is the way I would explain it. And nowadays, humanity is going to be stuck with AI. There's, the door's open. Pandora's box cannot be closed. Actually, it's Amphora for those Greek mythologists. Yeah, yeah. I, do, I do love that <laughs> analogy. But yeah, that, I didn't want to get into too much into the AI yeah. because we've got a very strong opinion on it, so... Okay, well, I'll jump into my next one. And this is from um, one of the crowning achievements of my life. Something that <laughs> I, I, I was so proud of when I won for a second time. Um, it was the beer pong competition, um, which we'll actually probably highlight in the next video with the, some of the designs. But um, one of the things I learned was the idea of the pursuit of perfection will never be achieved. And uh, the idea of error. And so here's okay. a little snippet out of some error I found from that, uh, uh, that entire process. Um, generally speaking, in engineering, the simplest design will win. Correct. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so for me, my entire goal was to take my previous design of that tube that shot a ping pong ball out of it, and then just to make it as simple as I could with the intention of having less things that could go wrong. Um, and so more things I can control. So the angle of the, the shot, the, the direction that I'm shooting, like the actual like orientation, um, how much power 
goes back, if I can control those three things, I can get the exact same shot every single time. Yeah. And even today when I spent hours like trying to get that into my design, I still wasn't getting the same shot. Yeah. Like it's impossible. I, I think I hinted this to you. I'm like, look, you're still going to have that slight bit of air resistance wind mm. resistance if you've got like air cons running you're gonna have uncertainties it's gonna yeah. happen like you cannot unless you're spending a lot of time designing it spending a lot of money you're not gonna get the exact same shot no unless you have something which is like dynamically checking your your the angle of your shot the orientation of your shot the power in each shot release something's gonna slightly change and so something that's very important in physics is the idea of error in uncertainty human error is a huge one that we talk about but a machine like for example if i say hey can you rule out 10 centimeters on this piece of wood and chop it and i tell that to 12 different people and say chop these pieces of wood by the end i'm not going to have like i'll have 12 different pieces of not 10 centimeters pieces of wood they're never perfect even if you use the same ruler you're not going to same ruler but different people slight errors now the problem is imagine i have to build a one meter ruler with these 10 centimeter pieces I'm not going to get to that meter because as you add small errors in at the start, they compound mm. and make bigger errors at the end. So it'll be close, but it'll be slightly up, which I found with my shots today. I got my shots. Once I figured out where they were shooting, I figured I can get them hitting the cups every single time. I think there was a few times I missed the cups when they're down to like two, but I was hitting the cups constantly. Yeah. And I went, I'm in the area. Error will push this ball into the cup at one point. Yeah. yeah. And I think my use of metaphors suck. <laughs> That's oh, the best it, was, thing. it was it was yeah. to an extent right because yeah. like if you're adding in more variables that mm. you can't control 100 percent yeah effectively the overall outcome is going to have more error than if you use less no, no no i think that part of the metaphor was correct the idea of error introduced to different areas will compound and make the largest area but the idea of making a one meter ruler out of 12 set 12 pieces of 10 centimeter wood yeah. gives you a ruler that's maybe 1.2 meters not one meter long <laughs> It's kind of dumb. <laughs> I mean, it, look, it works yeah. in some respects. But. Yeah, but if I use 10 of those pieces, I think the, the point was, and like you said, the error of each one will add on to the error of the other yeah. one. Eventually, it's going to be a way off. So this, like, when you said that, I probably didn't think as much as just hearing that clip now made me think, is that is was a big bottleneck in my design? Like I, My design was I had an idea, right? And mm. I was so impressed with myself that I could actually do this. And I was like, I am going to apply every bit of everything I've learned as yeah. like a hobbyist and put it in this design. And that was my biggest mistake. Like <laughs> I, I built something that was fucking terrifying and really yeah, cool. It was, it was really scary. I relied on the uncertainty of vibration of motors and friction yeah. of motors. I used two axes of control. I used like lasers. I tried to put in so many things that would make yeah. this thing cool. Not taking into account the complexity and the error. And this thing took me so freaking long to build. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like when you talked about yours being simple, it was also a lot more straightforward to build, a lot more quicker yeah. to build. And th- that is something I learned from your design. I was like, shit, that is engineering as a whole. Like you can, nothing has to be complicated. It doesn't need to grow arms yeah. and legs. Like you always have to think, okay, what am I trying to solve? Yeah. And work back from there. Don't start at the problem and, sorry, start at the problem and work to the solution, but focus on the solution. Yeah. It's like at every step, am I still within the scope of what I'm trying to solve or am I not going about this a smart way? Yeah, I got humbled one time trying to build a bridge out of spaghetti and uh, (laughs) I I just, I kind of did what you did where I just kept adding more spaghetti being eventually this thing's going to be super strong and I had the heaviest and the least strong bridge of every one of my classmates and this other guy had two strands, spaghetti 
And the competition I realized wasn't how much could you carry. It was how much could you carry versus the weight of the bridge. Yeah. And so I came dead last and this person came first and he came up to him and said, look, the simple design wins. And I, I hated him for it, but that was the biggest learning experience I've ever had. And I still hold on to that memory from year six. Uh, yeah. Mr. Schumacher's class. <laughs> I've let it go. I, I've let it go. Don't I, worry about it. I think <laughs> like, oh, I mean, Mr. Schumacher, he still holds it against you. He's like, oh, I don't know. But for me, it was like, the designs I've got now on my recent projects at this point of hearing the podcast, I've uploaded a new video. That is something I've focused on is like, how can I minimize the cost? How can mm. I minimize the complexity, but still achieve my problem? Like a beer bot that I recently made goes forward, back, left, right, brings you beer. There's yeah. no like crazy servo motors turning it. I'm thinking, how can I be smart about this? Yeah. And that is a, something I'll focus on in all yeah. my projects since that yeah. pretty much competition. Yeah, it's pretty much the idea that simplest usually does win. That is something that we've we've learned in different ways. Um, and unless you need to make a complex down, yeah. Because again, that that error. So it, you're right. Like something I've noticed with our projects recently is they're getting smaller. Yeah. They're getting more compact and more. Uh, designed with because yeah because that, that that's what mind. the scope the scope allows it to be small sometimes yeah. it won't be able to and those are going to be for the bigger projects later yeah. on um we yeah, when we're doing this stuff full time which oh. really want to freaking be um, <laughs> but yeah that that is the biggest learning I've, I've taken away and it's not something i want to touch on before we move to the next clip is simple is best but it can be harder right if yeah. you're having a bridge you're like saying that's not having as much spaghetti you need to think, all right, where do my supports now need to be? Mm. I'm minimizing the material. I have to make sure I get it right. So yeah. while simple might be better, it can also it be, needs to be really well thought through. A lot more yeah. thought through, yeah. Yeah, it's it's an incredible counterbalance. And it's like where engineering really sits is if you can make something tiny but genius, that is pure engineering. It's brilliant, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, we look at Mark Rober's kind of like videos on i mean i think he's he's gone complex and nano scale nerf gun nano scale nerf gun or even the um his evolution of the uh uh, uh the porch pirates package uh <laughs> things the the natural evolution of something that was really simple and game more complex but he started simple and then went through each step as he needed it to yeah. and even he's like oh i actually didn't need to put the drones in there why did i do that it was a bit silly but again start simple Work your way complex. And Don't have to work the other way it, around. Admit that you did something wrong and you're happy to learn from it. Which yeah. brings me to my next um, clip. So let's go to this it. Is, oh, this so. is this uh, is clip uh, from episode eighty eight. Eight, also from the Dr. James Hunter one. Ooh. Now, this sort of ties into the episode we had on the arguments in some respects, and I'll explain uh, after. Um, we actually made a TikTok in it and a short on this exact clip, but this is the raw footage. So roll it over. <laughs> I'll probably go with the what terrifies me first because um, I mean I've grown up around the ocean um, and in my lifetime I have actually seen um, some really um, sort of horrific changes honestly uh, you know environmental changes particularly yeah. um, you know I, I I firmly believe that we are, have got a major crisis brewing. And in fact, in some respects, it's already here. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that worries me a lot. Uh, and, well, I'll give you an example. Um, I can remember going to a reef in the Florida Keys when I was about nine years old. Uh, and, uh, again, you know, I was, I was a young kid. And 
your mind tends to sort of accentuate things a bit but you know i sort of remember this reef we went to as being something like out of finding nemo you know and like you know all the the sea life are having you know coordinated dances and singing (laughs) and all this um but i went back to that same reef uh around 2006 2007 and it was largely bleached and dead so the reason this one links into the arguments podcast is I have a very strong standpoint that you know when it comes to arguing your point, you need to come from a position of being a professional or you have to know a professional and got your source from somewhere good. Now, this is a direct source. This is someone working in the marine field talking about their experience in a problem. Mm. And now this to me is something that we do. Like we bring information across not from a point of view of, oh, we're scared this is happening. You need to do something about it. It's like, we're just sharing information of someone who is giving you their experience. So obviously this in the context of climate change, you know, surprise, surprise, this is a major crisis, like you said, that's already here. He's sharing what he has seen. There's no bullshit data to say, oh, you know, it's come from this source or this website or something. I am telling you what I saw between two certain timeframes. Now, you know how I feel about this. I I feel like good information is tainted a lot by media and politics. And it's unfortunate, but I want to try and push people in that STEM field to talk about it from the actual point of view. And I think one of the arguments is it's hard for a lot of those people to talk. They're not, a lot of them aren't really talkers. They just do it. Yeah. But when you have people like this who just, yeah, this is my experience, yeah, yeah it's, it's happening, that is something that I think as we Engineering Dad's podcast just simply do. Yeah, it's, it's to broadcast the opinions of people who are specialists in the field because they are good at what they do. They are yeah. paid to do what they do. And if their fears are this or that, it's because that is their professional opinion on it. Yeah. There is no, uh, no other ulterior motive. This is what they're scared of. And when i we wrote that question of what keeps you up at night what what keeps you like what are you scared of yeah i knew most of the answers were going to be in the stem field climate change yeah because it is a devastating cruel thing we never prep the people that we ask that question yeah we let them answer it in their own mind what keeps you he didn't know he was being asked that and the thing is like this is this is the issue i think with climate change it's it's seen as oh these greenies trying to push this agenda like they're spreading fear and it's just like sure okay i'm not going to disagree with you if that's what you think let me go and do my thing now. yeah exactly it's just like so whenever i have an argument with someone about it it's just like i'm telling you coming yeah. from a professional opinion in my field this is how it affects us yes in your field this is how it affects you yeah. in his field that's how it affects and yeah. that's that's what we're going to keep doing yeah. i'm not going to be here and be like oh you, you guys gonna stop doing this and stop doing that and good on those people who yeah. are pushing that but I'm just yeah. going to keep pushing out the facts there. I know. I mean, if you're talking to the curator of a National Maritime Museum who's got over 30 years of diving experience pulling up submarines telling you that climate change is real and you go, oh, but my mate Steve said otherwise, fuck you. That's, that's <laughs> when it's like, fuck this you. is literally now the don't look up bit of it. It's like, I know. It's here's like, some evidence, guys. Like, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to talk to you about the what Daily News said or you know yeah. what Sky News has reported on it. Fuck that. No, so. it's always opinion stuff anyways with those ones. Anyways, uh, but you're right. That one's got my blood boiling. Yeah. Um, I'm going to cool myself down with my final clip. Um, so not everything on this podcast is engineering, as we've shown. <laughs> 
a lot of it is not engineering, which is weirdly enough why we call ourselves Engineering Dads. Um, but this was uh, a podcast that I was in. So uh, you were away in Europe. Okay. Uh, I had just come back from Europe. So we kind of went past each other on the airplane, more of effect, more more or yeah. less. I remember uh, saying you like giving you a quick wave and yeah, and yeah. Giving you a bit of a flip in the bird. Yeah, I was like fucking post holiday depression on the way back, jet lagged as shit. You're there with the margarita, like three scotches down. I know yeah. scotches in the airport. God, silly. Um, best, man, that was a whole Japan trip was based around scotches in business class. Oh yeah, that's right. Oh, you went there. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Uh, time to cool down. All right? Yeah, I'm already mad about the the second last clip, but this one was in Venice. And so um, I'm talking about my trip in Venice, the the history of Venice, as well as the Mo system as whatnot. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that was quite interesting was uh, some of the history around Venice, which I just found interesting. So I'm just going to play it now uh, about this Venetian history. Yeah. Um, did you know that? Uh, so the airport there is called Marco Polo Airport. Um, do you know why it's called Marco Polo Airport? He's not from Venice, is he? He's from Venice. Yeah. Marco Polo, the famous explorer, one of the people that was credited. I, I need to double check this. Um, maybe we can ask Jimmy PT here uh, in 20 words or less who is Marco Polo. But I find it kind of funny that Marco Polo, the famous explorer um, who was living in uh, Venice. Uh, so he's, again, wandering around. We play the game Marco Polo of someone wandering around, around a large body of water, which is quite comparable to venice marco polo was an italian merchant and explorer who traveled extensively throughout asia in the 13th century so arguably marco polo killed venice because um after the eastern empires were explored and trade routes were developed venice lost its mercantile power and then led to the, the collapse again if you go to like uh, part of my trip was to like south greece into to crete there are venetian forts on the other side of the mediterranean than Venice. Like, Venice is in the top, 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 top corner of Italy, and Crete is in the very southeast of Greece, and they owned that entire island. A very small city owned an island that was maybe 2,000 times bigger than it. Oh, that was just me being a nerd. <laughs> yeah, it's just The thing is, right, everyone talks about, how often do you think about the Roman Empire every day? No, no, no. Fucking soft talk. Talk to me about European Eastern merchantile powers, how Portugal owned yeah. the West Indies, how um, Venice owned the Mediterranean. The Venetians had more power than the Italian mainland. A yeah, small dude. little city owned more land than Italy. Oh. Yeah, they effectively owned like Italy for the whole time. But do you know, actually, backstory about, you know, how you, <laughs> you, I'm into this stuff too. Yeah. Do you know how you're talking about like the Venetian sort of Easter eggs you found in Greece, right? Mm-hmm. So... The dialect, the, Ven- the Venetian dialect actually comes from Greek. So, oh, so their, their word for bed, right, is more Greek than Italian. Their word for fork is more of a Greek slang than Italian. It's more Hellenic based. More then. Hellenic based, yeah. Which I found like, yeah. So they had a big influence over the Greeks as well. Again, I have to check that. I'm not big on the like yeah. ancient history of it. Got to read more of my history books as uh, my mentors uh, you know, suggest to me. But <laughs> something I really liked from that podcast is I didn't know this is how, why St. Mark's Square got the name St. Mark's Square. That was my <laughs> favorite bit of the whole podcast because I had actually gotten to venice yet and you're like and what the fuck <laughs> i uh, i remember waking up so like we, we we'd wake up really early to go see these sites right mm. i remember waking up like six in the morning to go see saint mark square dead empty the only person yeah. who was there was just some like 
30-year-old lady playing with a dog, like playing throw and catch with a dog in St. Yeah. Mark's Square. And I'm just there like thinking of like capturing someone just like being <laughs> there captured. And I don't know, did, did, did someone get assassinated there as well? Who, who knows? Oh, like, there, there's a few. There's a lot of assassinations that probably happened at St. Mark's Square. Oh, I mean, I played Assassin's Creed. We've all played Assassin's Creed. I think it was, the one that threw me out was St. Mark's Square is next to St. Mark's Basilica. Correct, yeah. And that was the stolen body from the one of the saints from Carthage. Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, and I think I, I told about it in the podcast, but the reason the Venetians did it said we need to become a serious city. The only way we become a serious city is if there's a pilgrimage here, but there's nothing Roman here or nothing from Jesus. So we're going to steal an apostle. Not very Christian of them. <laughs> yeah, dude. And that's the thing. I remember sitting there, like, I was sitting in a cafe having an espresso at this point. There's no one there, like, had a very expensive espresso because I'm in St. Mark's Square and then thinking, going, what the hell? And that's where. Who do you think of the Roman Empire comes from because of you yeah. know, being in the moment at the time? Even though it's got nothing to do with the Roman Empire, but it's that thought of like thinking of where you are and thinking of what occurred there. Mm. Just feeling the, what's the word they use when like you can feel the feeling in the room of history. Like when you go, if you say if you went to yeah. Auschwitz, there's a specific word that you know, I can't find the word. There's usually a German word for it, actually. German words have, there's the word Dunkelflat, which is, means periods of no renewable power. You know, there's a word for that. No, it means dark and stormy in German, but it's used to describe a <laughs> renewable drought. German words for everything. Dark and stormy. It's like a melancholy feeling that you're trying to describe, right? Yeah, but no, it's not there, your there's, melancholy. there's a specific word for it, and I just can't. You know, it's not the English dads or the history dad; it's the engineering dads. We don't do words here. Yeah, exactly. But um, I thought I thought now we've got a bit of time. I'd play a bonus clip unless you have one you wanted to play. I've, uh, uh, no, I've only got the outro one. So, so you got an outro. So there's a bonus clip. Um, I I wanted to. Yeah, I have a few things about this one, but this is the guest podcast when you had uh, your friends uh, Sarah and Ann Liz oh, come on. Oh, yes. I love those two. Uh, let me find it back up. Yeah, here we go. All right, let's go. Would you rather be sitting in traffic yeah. for the whole day trying to get from one part of the city to the other or like everyone, you, have you guys been to Amsterdam or the Netherlands? I've or been Copenhagen? going yeah. soon, going yeah. soon. Why are those cities so enjoyable? Well, I mean, they had better forward planning. Australia was... But okay, but no, no, no. You're yeah. not answering my question. Sorry. Why are they enjoyable? Um, to be in, to in be Amsterdam. around. Amsterdam, you got coffee. Sh- I mean, yes. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> <podcast>. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the other one we do. Sorry. <laughs> it's because you can walk around. You can get on your bike. You can be outside. You can go mm. do things. Like Sydney is so. It, it's got the same problem as a lot of cities around the world, where it's like very unfriendly to people who are not in a car. <laughs> Two things. One, she's a fucking great podcaster. She yeah. should start her own podcast. Like yeah. she's a radio voice, interviewer's voice. <laughs> like I listened to that and I was like, that that was really really cool. The second part is, wow, I heard that back and I was like, I agree, man. After going to these places in yeah. Europe, I was like, you can literally walk everywhere and the walk is enjoyable. So one of the things I found is like in Sydney, if you're walking from like the opera house to the harbour bridge or whatever there's nothing you see on the way where you're like wow this is sydney when i was in like Mm. paris or when i was in amsterdam and i'm walking through the streets i was like always looking around going wow like that's just Mm. appreciating the architecture which didn't really like that wasn't the position that she was coming from but that's something that i really appreciated just a little side thing i wanted to yeah yeah big shout out to sarah um she is like such a great personality to have like she always brings out like great energy yeah we've got to have her and 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 liz both back on the podcast soon yeah um but yeah i think that's uh i haven't got any other bonus clips i've only got one more outro clip so this is a bit of a tribute to our third and currently missing podcast uh podcaster Patty, uh, we miss you, mate. Um, you always brought, uh, like Sarah, amazing energy to these podcasts. 
Um, this is a little snippet of you recorded before actually a podcast began. Hey, baby girl, how you doing? <laughs> you look really pretty in those uh, Crocs. <laughs> can you? Can we just be like? boys of scientists like hey baby girl you want to know about gravity <laughs> are you an h2o because you just gotta add that water because oh! you, you're that you're giving me that polar attraction <laughs> can, you, can we just be like yeah scientific boys are you, are you in a borealis because i want to you oh oh god that that's Physically impossible. As a, no, no. as a member of the scientific no, no, no. community, I was you should know this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, all right, enough of that. Uh... <laughs> so for those who want to know, that's how we start our podcasts. That's, that's how, how we, we get in it. the mood. I mean... <laughs> I found that rolling through the podcast the other day. And went, oh, yeah. That's got to go in. That's, that's got to go in. Yeah, yeah, that's a reminiscing on our <laughs> previous podcast and podcast preparations. Uh, I feel like we've come a very long way with the podcasting. Very impressed with some of the information we've gathered together. <laughs> I think we've regressed a little bit today. Yeah. Um, anyway, well, that was our podcast. And next week or next fortnight will be the project, which I'm very looking forward to. I'm really keen to. to talk about some of the projects and what we've learned from them. Yeah.